0: The story you're about to hear was told to me in the strictest of confidence. Certain names, dates, and locations have been changed to protect that confidence. Events that feature in this story may be part of the public record. If you believe you recognize any of the people, places, or events that appear in this story, ask you not to reveal any information publicly, out of respect for the subject's right to remain anonymous. And you're listening to the New Ghost Stories Podcast, where we delve into the New Ghost Stories archive to hear witness accounts of the supernatural. Stories that could be delusions, lies, fantasies, or perhaps even the real thing. Just don't make your mind up until you've listened. So, before we get to the concluding part of our story, and to the end of Season 3, I want to talk a little bit about the future of the podcast. I've been working on the New Ghost Stories project for a very long time now. I've been collecting these stories for more than a decade. I've investigated hundreds and hundreds of cases now, and those investigations are very time-consuming. And of them, it's only a relatively small number that actually become stories in the books and on the podcast. The reason why I've been able to keep this podcast going for three years is because I've built up quite a large archive of stories. But after some 30 plus episodes, I'm sorry to say that that archive has almost been worked through. There aren't that many of my old cases left to feature on the podcast. I have continued to research and write new cases since the podcast started, of course, and a few of those have already appeared on the show. Nevertheless. Putting out 10 cases a year is not a model that is going to be sustainable for the long term. Now that's the bad news. But there's good news too. And that news is that there is going to be a full season 4 of the podcast. It will feature the final cases from the archive, which will even include a sequel to one of my early cases. But it will mostly be entirely fresh material that has never been available before, which is a bit scary for me but also a little bit exciting too. Beyond that, who knows? I'm hopeful that the show will continue in some form. It may be that there are shorter seasons or episodes added in small batches. I'm not sure. It's going to depend on a number of different factors. But those are questions for another day. I remain so grateful to have the opportunity to do this and to have listeners who tune in for these stories and who support the show. Whether you've listened to the new Ghost Stories podcast from the beginning or you've recently come to the show, you have my thanks and my gratitude. It matters so much to me that you've given over your time to listen. I really appreciate it. We will have some vintage Ghost Stories to bridge the gap between now and when the show returns for regular episodes, which, all being well, will be in October, in time for Halloween. Thank you once again, and now for the final part of Vandals. Case number 390. And you can hear that in full after these messages. I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who's taken the time to rate and review the podcast. We enjoyed a bit of a spike in listenership over the winter and start of spring, and it's likely that these reviews played a huge part in that. So I really do appreciate the support. It absolutely does make a difference. And if you haven't had chance yet and you are enjoying the show, please do rate it on the Spotify app by visiting the show page and hitting the three-dot button, or by reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or on any other platform. It really helps me out, and I really do appreciate it. And now, back to the story. Just a heads-up to say that the narrator of this story is female. What if all these tags were a trail? I had already seen them all over town. What if I followed them? Where would it take me? I still didn't know what it meant. But I wasn't going to play the game of calling this madness or schizophrenia anymore. Something was doing this to me, to both of us. Me and Billy were being fucked with, and I needed to find out why and how to stop it. If they were a trail, then which way to go? One way would lead back to the high street, but that would be too obvious. You wouldn't risk vandalising somewhere so public. The other way led to a car park. A more discreet place to defaced property. So I walked there, and straight away found myself stuck again for which way to go. A quick scan of the car park didn't show me anything. I got impatient quickly. Where would I go if I were this kid looking for somewhere to practice his street art? Cross on the other side of the car park was a subway that went under the one-way system. Where better for graffiti? I knew the rules of the game now. When I got there, I found a whole gallery of vandalism, with a smudge not so hidden amongst them all. Following the subway to the end, I found myself looking at a group of terraced houses. They were built on a slope. A wall under the houses grew tall as I followed the pavement down to a junction. A new smudge was on the wall next to the crossing. I assumed this was a hint to cross. I waited for the traffic lights, then continued down the street until I saw the next tag, which was on a post box on the street corner. I guessed I was supposed to take a turn and headed down the residential road. One of the effects of my possession was that I could summon complete focus on any goal. Just as my anger had been controllable and all consuming, my focus was now absolute. The rest of the world was tuned out. I'm a focused person anyway, but there were no other thoughts in my head. All the things I could be worried about and panicking about, they were all on the back burner, completely shut out of my thinking. How was I sure I was going the right way? I just kept finding new tags, and I started to pass through familiar territory. I was going through the same locations where I had spent all those Sunday afternoons, from the sloping alley where I first spotted him through the chain fence, and then down into the maze of subways that passed beneath the intertwining junctions. I walked for miles, night fell, and I strayed into a part of the city I would rarely visit, and for good reason it was a rough neighbourhood. I was in an estate of brutalist tower blocks, the sort of flats that get called an estate. Another place no one wants to go in every cop show. It wasn't the kind of place where you would feel safe. It wasn't well lit. The buildings hadn't been cleaned in decades. When people walked past, they wouldn't look you in the eye. Grass and moss grew between paving stones, and you could spot rats crawling around piles of fly-tipped rubbish. It was unnervingly quiet, except for the sound of boy racers in the distance. I ended up where I knew I'd end up, the walkway I'd spent the last Sunday of community service cleaning, the place where I'd suddenly remembered I'd let Billy clean away the smudge graffiti, giving me the horrible thought that it was all my fault. I mean, I didn't make her clean it, but she cleaned it away, so I wouldn't have to. It disrupted my focus. Her getting dragged away by the police. I. Almost forgotten. I didn't just need to sort this out. For me, her life was on the line too, and this might even be my fault. I felt sick. She was probably in a police cell right at that moment. Perhaps it was the safest place for her and for everyone around her. I heard the sound of a tin can rolling. It rolled from one side of the pavement to the other. Where it had come from, There was a flight of stairs. Taking that as a hint, I started to climb the dirty stairwell onto an open first-floor walkway. Another smudge was written on a flower box that sat on an iron rail. There were no flowers, just cigarette butts and ash. To my left and to my right were rows of doors and windows. Some were painted in bright colours. Most were faded and looking pretty shabby. I was drawn to my left, as if I knew it was coming. I heard the rattling of a key turning in a lock. Onto the walkway stepped a middle-aged man. He was singing Bob Marley, at an obnoxious volume. It was a territorial type of obnoxiousness. He wanted you to know he was there, and he was challenging you to do something about it. He was about average height, probably in his fifties, with plenty of gut fat. His jacket was a shiny, cheap fabric. He was all in black, except for a white shirt underneath, with a clip-on tie. I walked slowly towards him, keeping my head down. But as he sung, I, I recognised the voice, and it froze me to the spot. Now my overwhelming, explosive emotion was fear. My heart was stumping and my body was shaking and I wanted to run but I was too scared even to do that. I knew that voice, not from the words he sung really badly but from the sound, his guttural, grating, scraping tone like someone trying hard to talk with a sore throat. I knew that tone because I knew his laugh. I'd been hearing his disgusting, horrible cackle in my head all day. If I looked afraid, he never noticed. He said, coming through, as he pushed past, butting my shoulder. He turned onto the stairs, singing, we're jamming, as he went. I'd been holding my breath. I let it out and felt dizzy. I propped myself up against the wall. I was starting to see things. Visions of this man. Fragments of memories I never knew. He was a drinker a mean drunk I saw him knocking back bottles and smashing them against the wall I saw him getting angry and aggressive screaming at others threatening them spit flying from his lips he had to be restrained unless he was at home and then I had to just go and hide suddenly his face was right up against mine not even an inch between us he was threatening to beat some fucking sense into me. I screamed and sunk to the floor. Thank goodness no one was watching. I was shivering, sweating on the ground. These were someone else's memories, but they felt real. It was like I'd been there. He was like this all the time, angry, aggressive, belligerent, forever with a chip on his shoulder, forever looking for someone to take his rage out on. And I was usually there, his son. I heard him singing again. I got off the ground and went to the rail. I saw him climb into his car. It was a vintage model, something from the 60s or 70s. In good condition, very well cared for. He barely said a word to me. But in my head I could hear him calling me worthless, stupid, a pussy. I needed to toughen up. I was disgraced to his family. I wasn't half the man he was at my age. His car was loud, it rumbled away, and I had no way of following him. But that was fine, I didn't want to be anywhere near him, I was too terrified. The emotional drama of it all was taking its toll, I was fragile and I was exhausted, I couldn't do this anymore. I tried to remember which door he came from, in case it was important. I estimated that it was number 27. The door was also well looked after, recently painted a cherry red. House proud as well as car proud. I spotted the corner of an envelope sticking out from his post box. I grabbed it with a couple of fingers and eased it from the shutter. It was a scrunched up payslip. It was addressed to a Barrington Smith. It was marked as being from foresight security with a return address in Guernsey. Not caring about consequences, I tore it open to see if there was any useful information inside. He was being paid for 16 shifts at the industry, whatever that was. I screwed up the payslip and shoved it back through the letterbox. I was halfway down the stairs when it clicked that the industry was probably some nightclub. That would make sense of his clothes. He was a nightclub bouncer. Sitting on the bottom step, I looked the industry up on my phone. It must be new. It didn't have a website, but it had a Facebook page. Thursday night was two-for-one shots until 11pm. It was on the edge of an industrial estate in an old factory. Hence the name. It was miles away and I was tired, totally drained. I did not want to do this anymore. What did this fucking kid want with me? This had nothing to do with me. I wasn't a social worker. Why was he putting me through this? That's when I got a vision of his father putting his boot in my face. I was on the ground. I'd taken a beating. For just a moment, I felt it. I really felt it. I felt the bruises, the blows, blood running down my cheek. I jumped up and screamed like he screamed. I tried to cover my face from the blows. I yelled at him to stop it. Please stop. The memory ceased. I fell on my knees, crying, trembling. I crawled over to the wall and sat there with my head between my knees. I was sobbing for such a long time. In this neighbourhood, no one even noticed. That man had driven away my mother. She'd abandoned me and left me alone with a violent maniac who beat me when he didn't get his way or when he was upset about something, anything. I was a punching bag whenever he needed one. He'd play tricks on me and then call me stupid when I didn't figure him out in advance. It was supposed to be for my own good so I wouldn't be a sucker. All the torment was for my own good or my own fault. He expected me to cook and clean for him. As he was working and I had to earn my keep, that's all I was good for anyway because I was a bit of a pussy and only suited for woman's work. I lashed out and tried to hit him so many times, but he was too strong for me and too quick. Sometimes he would lock me in a closet to show me he was strong and I was weak and he could do
1: whatever he wanted. I remembered it all as if it had happened to me. I still remember it. I felt violated and destroyed inside. I wasn't allowed to finish.
0: I felt the pressure to carry on and see this journey through wherever it might go. I had to follow this monster to his hole. I hadn't the strength to walk and the industry was too far away. I booked a taxi back home. I sat in the back seat hoping I could fall asleep, but there was no chance of that. New memories were flooding through all the time. He'd tell me to hit him, so I'd hit him, and he'd dodge and then he'd smack me to the ground. Too slow, he'd laugh. One day you'll get it fucking right, but no time too soon I'm still quick. I heard his guttural slurring drawl. I heard him speak his own name. Drunkenly he'd draw the sound out. Smudge. If I could have thought harder, I might have thought about the tragedy of it all. That of all the names this kid could have identified himself with, he chose the one that identified him with this pathetic drunk. It was a sad cry for help. A poor kid who could only see himself through. The lens of a monster. Like a zombie, I stepped out of the taxi and into my own car, feet still on the side. I drove myself to the industry. I could have taken the taxi, but I wanted to be able to get away whenever I needed to. It was a half hour drive, I don't know how I managed it. The club's location kind of made sense. The industrial estate was connected to a main road coming out of the city centre, and and not too far from where most of the student houses were. A temporary sign hung outside the entrance. A couple of bouncers stood on patrol by the heavy steel doors, with a red carpet leading in, not really in keeping with the industrial look. Entrance was £10, £6 before 10pm. I parked my car a little further down the road. Not close enough for me to watch the entrance, but away from any streetlights. Not that there was much to watch. People turned up in dribs and drabs, and there was no sign of Smith. Was this what I was supposed to do? Did he want me to go inside? Me? In a nightclub of my age? It wasn't exactly the kind of place I went to even when I was this young. This was definitely more Claire's thing. She'd probably even been to the industry. Two-for-one shots was exactly her cup of spiked
1: tea. I wondered briefly where she was. There'd been no sign of her when I'd been home. There was no hint
0: from the kid that I should go in, so I stayed put, eyes struggling to stay open. As the hours went by, a queue started to form outside. IDs were being checked. Taxi started to park up and drop off. I dozed off a few times. After midnight, I felt a hard nudge in my side. I lifted my head.
1: The kid was sat next to me. Look, he said, nodding forward. His father had made an appearance.
0: He seemed cheerful. One of the bouncers took him aside. They went a few steps away from the queue and had a short conversation. After, Smith gave
1: him a pat on the back and strolled to the back door. He looked less jovial, his posture more predatory. Follow him, said the boy calmly. What inside? Round the back. He glared at me and I got out the car. How was I supposed to go round the back? The entrance and the bouncers
0: were at one end of the building. I decided to go further along to the other end of the club. A tall, spiked fence separated the industry from the next building. A path led down the side of the club, connecting fire-exes to the street and giving room for air-conditioned units to pump and recycle the air. A steel gate lay open at the end of the path. There was a small yard behind the building, home to a large skip and a few discarded wooden pallets and empty beer barrels. The spiked fence continued around the perimeter. I heard doors open, and I slid back around the corner. A couple of bouncers came out into the yard, dragging a young man with them. They pushed him against the fence, and stood on either side of him as Smith came out into the open. He held a baseball bat and tapped it against his side. He lifted it and pointed the end at the man. I thought we told you. I could hardly hear the young guy over the humming of the air conditioners. He held out his arms to plead with Smith. Smith yelled and made a show of swinging the bat back. The kid backed off. He promised to give Smith all his money. course I'm taking all your money. What I want to know is, who put you up to this? No one had just needed the money. You think we're monkeys? You think we don't mean what we say? I'm sorry. You have no fucking idea. One of the bouncers kicked the kid in the back of his knees, causing him to kneel. Smith swung the bat, smacking it against the side of his head. I saw blood spit from his cheek as he fell down. The shock made me cry out. One of the bouncers heard and turned in my direction. I ran. I didn't know I still had the energy in me. It flooded back, not as strong as before, but strong enough to get me to the end of the path before the bouncer had barely started after me. I was down the street, heading to my car at speeds I hadn't managed, even when I was young. I drove faster and more recklessly than I'd ever driven before, screeching around corners and cutting people off at a time of night where there just wasn't any need to be so aggressive. I was supposed to be cautiously holding on to my licence, but I could only really think one thing at a time. It was fear, then self-preservation and maybe just a little bit of excitement. I'd never driven like that before. By the time I was approaching home, I was back to a snail's pace. The fatigue was overwhelming now. I felt so dead. Pressing down on the accelerator was a serious exertion. I sat in my driveway with my head on the steering wheel for a long time, resting and taking things in. Barrington Smith was a dealer, or at least a petty thug. Probably a thug for dealers. He was dangerous. I remembered the pain the kids shared with me. Then I thought of the young dealer he'd just beaten. Was he even alive? Could he even recover from that? I really couldn't handle this. I knew the horror of it would all come back to hit me soon, like a traumatic time bomb. I was going to badly freak out. I just wasn't able to grasp it all yet, to feel it in full. All was quiet when I finally went indoors. When I went up to Claire and Liam's room, not only were they not there, but most of their things were gone. There was no message from
1: them anywhere in the house. I'd actually gotten what I wanted. I'd driven them out. As if that mattered any more. I dropped down onto my bed. And I blacked out.
0: I slept restlessly with more memories slipping into my dreams. I didn't like being made to do this. I didn't like being made to do his cooking and cleaning. Well, I'm paying for your food and the roof over your head. You want to quit? Then you've got to do some real work, pal. Do proper man's work. Then I was in some car park outside another club. There was a guy much older than the dealer I'd seen tonight. He was getting a beating against the transit van. Smith Sr. gave me the bat. It was my turn. The guy was on his knees. Another thug held up his bloody head by his hair. I stood in front of him. Bat gripped tightly. He looked helplessly at me. He tried to say something. Blood and saliva dribbled from his mouth. I couldn't move. My father shouted, Come on, just do it! Hit him! I swung the bat back, made a big show of my posture. But I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Useless fucking kid! He pulled the bat off me and pushed me away. He screamed for me to look at him. I looked. He swung the bat in the dealer's face. The dealer didn't even make a sound. He landed on all fours and just took it as Smith cracked him three times more on the back and spat on him. He threw the bat back at me. I wasn't expecting it and I dropped it, tripped and almost fell. He called me fucking hopeless. One of his gang told him to lay off. Smith told him he could fucking have me if he wanted. I picked up the bat and I kept it. That night I crept into his bedroom while he was asleep. I wanted to bash his brains in with it. I don't know whether I could have gone through with it or not. He rolled suddenly out of bed, kicking my legs out from under me. I tumbled into his wardrobe. He wrestled the bat off me.
1: And then he beat me over and over, relentlessly, until I couldn't feel it anymore. I woke up screaming and shouting. The kid was there with me.
0: It was raining outside and he was stood by the window.
1: That had been the last time. The last beating. Did he know it was you? I asked. It was dark. He knew. After a moment of silence, he said, you know what you got to do. I can't.
0: You know him. You know who he is. You know that he deserves everything that's coming to him. I can't kill a man. I'm not a murderer. Even with everything he's done. Just can't do it. It's not your choice. Not anymore. There is no you. There is us. We are doing this. Tears fell down my cheeks. I can't. You can. He doesn't know you. You can get
1: close to him. You couldn't do it then. Why do you think we can do it now? I've never even been in a fight.
0: Tomorrow night, he'll be back at the club, but you'll need to get him on his own. I keep telling you I can't do it. I won't do it. I am not giving you a choice. It's me and you forever until it's over. Do you understand? I will never leave you, not until he is dead. Not until he's so fucking dead and he's got everything that he deserves. I fell back on my bed. He wasn't listening and I had nothing else to give him or say to him. I turned over and covered my head with my arms. Come up with a plan. Do it however you like. But this ends tomorrow. We are going to finish this tomorrow. I cried and I screamed and I covered my eyes and my ears until he was gone. But even then I knew I was never really alone now. He was part of me. He had a hold over me that I couldn't explain. I knew I had no choice but to go along with him. Hope that he'd leave me be and let me get back to normal. I was a danger to anyone and everyone until he'd leave me alone. I slept at least 12 hours. I didn't wake until well into the afternoon. I felt empty inside. I was just blank. An empty space until some new feeling would overtake me. I lay on the bed for another hour. There was no great hurry to do anything. When I finally did get up, I slipped into my routine. I I showered, then changed. I made breakfast at 4pm. I didn't check my phone until afterwards. There were calls and messages. Put them aside. I didn't need to get into that now. That was not my purpose. All I had to do was wait. I had some kind of plan in my mind. It might have been me who thought it up, or it might have been him. I didn't know where the boundaries were, but it was simple. That seemed to be the main thing. There was less chance of me getting caught if it was simple. How little that seemed to mean to me now, getting arrested, locked up. The worry about going to prison was as perfunctory to me as to whether I had butter or marmite on my toast. I reached inside for a part of me that cared about the consequences of what I was about to do. And I couldn't find it. I still worried about dying. That instinct was so inherent I could still feel it. Prison or arrest hardly stirred me at all. Perhaps because, well, what did I really have left? The house, a little bit of money? Maybe this was his plan all along. To take away from me all the things that mattered so I would be more able to do his dirty work. And how pathetic those things all seemed now, my job which took everything out of me and made me cold and miserable, my family who I could never get on with, my friends who I hardly saw, my hobbies which were watching TV and not much else.
1: I was a good vessel for him. What I had to lose was exactly nothing at all. I just hadn't known it before. Late in the afternoon, there was a knock at the door. Reacting to the stimuli, I
0: went straight there. To my surprise, I found Claire standing alone and staring at me. It's you, I said in a dull tone.
1: Is that all you've got to say to me? After a pause, I said. I'm sorry. You're sorry? You punched me in the face! You hit my child! I didn't hit
0: Liam. You pushed him. You shoved him. I'm sorry about that too. She was tense, nervous, unsure what to say. What is wrong with you? There's all this shit about you on Facebook. My threshold for other people's bullshit finally gave way. What's that supposed to mean? Stuck for words, I shrugged my shoulders. I could call the police on you, you know that. I think that's up to you. Is that what you want? I honestly don't care, Claire. Do what you want. It's not important. I'm your sister. You hit me. You said those things. How can you say it doesn't matter? Because you upset me, Claire. You're selfish and you leeched off me and I'd had enough. I'd had enough of a lot of things. I just wanted to go on holiday for once. She used to get her boyfriends to take her places all the time, but I... Didn't rise to it. Don't you even want to know where I'm staying? I guessed with Paul. Yes, yes, with Paul. She hadn't expected the answer. He didn't even believe me when I told him you hit me. I said I was sorry. Can't even cover it up with makeup. I was losing patience. Is there something you want, Claire? She was like a little lost girl. What's happened to you, Abby? This isn't you. What the hell is going on? I'm really worried about you. I'll be fine, you should stay at Paul's. You shouldn't be around me.
1: I can't stay there with him. She seemed to be looking anywhere but right at me. Doesn't want me anymore. We stood in silence. We were right in front of one another. But we weren't even making eye contact. I have things to do, Claire. Is that all you've got to say? Yes. You can talk to me, you know. You don't have to close yourself up. I said goodbye and I closed the door. My plan was to catch Smith Sr. before he went to work.
0: I waited in my car in the car park beneath his flat. When he emerged and headed for the stairs, I got out and walked briskly towards his car. I picked up the pace as I saw him cross the tarmac. Hey! I wanted to get his attention without speaking too loud. I waved at him and he fixed his eyes on me. I caught up close and said, You can hook me up, right? You what? I want something. What do you sell? Who the fuck are you? I'm not the police. I just want some gear. I had to imagine how these people talked. I didn't know the first thing about buying drugs. I don't know you. I've got money, alright? I showed him my wallet. I'd drawn as much as I could from the bank and padded that out with receipts to make the ward look bigger. It had the effect, I knew it would. What are you after? Anything. Pills. I'll take pills. What pills? Anything. Ease, acid, whatever. I want to try something, alright. I just want to try something. You gotta be fucking kidding me. I'm not your guy. You want this or not? I got angry, showed in the notes again. You can have the lot. I don't care. Just get me something. He wasn't sure, but the money was keeping him interested. Not fucking here, right? I can meet you at the nightclub. You've been following me? I checked you out, so what? This is a transaction. I need to know who's got the goods. He seemed more puzzled than angry. 12.30, I'll be outside. I don't think I want anything to do with you. For 500, 600 quid for no fucking work, you will. A dozen, two dozen ease, whatever. Just be there. He started to laugh as I walked off. As long as he showed up, it didn't matter. At 12.30, people were still showing at the club and lining up outside. My worry was that he'd not be alone. He knew there was something suspicious about this, but my gamble was that I looked so clueless and unthreatening that it wouldn't matter. He wanted the money, even if it probably wasn't that much to him. Just showing it to him marked me as clueless. I ought to be an easy mark. I waited on a street corner, just a little further up the road from the industry, on the opposite side. He would still be able to see me. I was worried about showing my face, but no one around here would know me, so it probably didn't matter. I had to get him away from the club so I could stab him, and still have a chance to get away before anyone could come to help. My car was parked a few streets away within running distance where I was sure there was no camera. My focus was still perfect. I waited for such a long time and kept my nerve. I didn't waver or worry or get restless. I was fixed there from before midnight, and even when 12.30 passed, I barely got anxious. I wasn't frightened. I could kill him after his work ended, if necessary. He finally appeared, 20 minutes late. While his colleagues were patting down newcomers, he walked to the edge of the pavement and took a slow look up and down the street, right to left. When his eyes met mine, I nodded and turned the corner, as soon as he started walking towards me. I sprinted then to the next corner. I waited there for him to appear and see me once again, and I turned that next corner, pulling him further away from the club. I backed a little down that next street as I waited for him to catch up. I stood beneath a large warehouse building. Across the road was a mostly empty car park. This spot was more wide open than I wanted, but it was isolated, poorly lit and quiet. It would do for what I had to do. I was ready for this. The focus was there, the rage was ready to flow. As soon as he turned the corner, I could whip out the knife, plunge it into his chest and make a run for it. It was all so simple. Then he arrived. And it all vanished. The focus, anger and energy went in a flash. Like a cloak slipping off my back. My fear was exposed. The man who beat me. The man who murdered me. I was paralysed with terror. Completely overtaken by it. you running away from me, he growled. What the fuck? You got it. You got the stuff. I felt like I was shaking. Could he see me shaking? That's not how this works. I thought you knew how I did business. Fox sake, why am I even here? Because I've got money. Even my voice was shaking. Yeah, and what you do is you hand it to me, and then you pick up the gear from someone else. It's that simple. Now hand it over. If I'd moved quicker, maybe I'd have gotten away with it. The knife was hidden under my top, held in place by my belt at the back of my trousers. I could have just reached for it and given it right to him. But we were so afraid of this monster. We were slow and we were tense. That moment of hesitation, the awkward move we made. We gave the game away. He knew this wasn't right. He went for my arm. I'd just got my fingers around the handle. His pull made it slip from my grip. It fell clattering on the pavement. He butted me in the head. I fell down. Fucking hell, he shouted. He reached down to pick up the knife. I knew it! I knew this wasn't legit! Fuck! I was trying to crawl away on my backside. He grabbed me by the ankles and yanked me back towards him. Who put you up to this? Jesus, is this some revenge thing? Get your kid fucked up, did I? He pointed the knife. I'm going to teach you not to play with big boys' toys. I covered my eyes and I screamed. What came next was like thunder, then lightning. Neither of us noticed the sound of a car engine rumble to life. There was a screech followed by a roar. I opened my eyes. A white light flashed past me. Smith. Just had enough time to see it coming. I was quick enough to lift my legs out the way. A white van sped across the car park. It reversed over the road and onto the pavement. It crashed into Smith, took him off his feet and smashed him against the factory wall. A cloud of dust burst from the bricks. I lay on the tarmac, too shocked to move. As the car wheels started to turn again, I jumped to my feet. The van pulled a few feet forward. There was a queasy moment when Smith, still seemed to be on his feet, his back against the wall. Then his body dropped, tumbling forward like a sack of potatoes onto the pavement. I crept towards him, staring down at his figure, too scared to act. I heard the van door open. I heard footsteps coming towards me. A tall character appeared by the back doors. They wore a ski mask. I could only see their eyes, but that was not enough. I only knew who it was when she spoke. You gonna help me or not? I snapped out of it. I was in safe hands. I bent down to help pick up Smith. Billy tried to open the back doors. They were badly dented. It was an effort to pull them apart. Is he dead? I asked. He'd better be dead. He was heavy. It took both of us to heave him inside. He landed with a thud on a ratty old carpet. We beat the door shut and got back to the cabin. As Billy started to speed off, I contributed some advice. Slow down! We've got a body in the back. You're drawing attention to us. We don't need to be this fast. She didn't like it, but she must have seen the logic. She reduced the speed. Neither of us spoke for a long time after that. Where are we taking him? I've got an idea. Somewhere where no one's going to find him. We talked no more after that. We had that same focus on the task at hand. There was no sound from the back of the van. I wasn't worried that Smith might still be alive because we'd we would deal with it anyway. In another act of symmetry, Billy drove us back to the same criss-crossing carriageways and junctions where we'd spent so many hours cleaning the graffiti from pedestrian alleys and subways. This time we avoided the paths. We drove behind a car dealership, approaching close to a piece of disused land under one of the rising roads. We came to a stop by a section of badly maintained chain fencing. Parts had been cut through and covered by large sheets of wood. Some pieces had since been crowed apart, leaving gaps we could squeeze through. Without a word to each other, we got out and pulled open the back doors. Smith lay motionless on the floor. Even in the dark, I could see a circle of blood where his head lay. Help me roll him up, Billy said. She pulled the carpet up and climbed inside. Squeezing her feet under it, I climbed in after her to help lift Smith as we rolled him up in the rug. I kicked aside the wooden panels to make more room for us to carry him through. The terrain was rough on the other side, grass grew in thick tufts. there were large patches of nettles and weeds, and all kinds of litter, mostly bottles and cans to trip over I could see where we were going. A little shelter had been created at the base of one of the huge concrete supports that held up the road. A roof had been made of the same wood panels that had been used to patch up the fence. Smith was heavy, and the carpet wasn't easy to carry him in. Billy led the way and I followed, trying not to put a foot wrong on the ground I could hardly see. There was some light falling on us from the road, but we felt sure no one could see us from above. For a moment, I thought Smith might be alive. I could feel some movement inside the carpet. But it was slight movement, I just wasn't sure. We reached the shelter, a makeshift home for the homeless. They looked abandoned, at least we hoped it was. There were empty sleeping bags and carrier bags of old shoes, newspapers and a collapsed tent. The wood panels weren't propped up very high. Billy couldn't really bend under and carry the carpet at the same time. After cursing, she dropped it and just pulled it along while I pushed the other end. Smith's head suddenly popped out from the top. I was sure for a moment his eyes were about to spring open. I pulled the knife from my belt and leapt on him, pinning him to the ground. I was ready
1: to plunge it into his chest. But his head stayed still. There were no signs of life. I
0: looked up at Billy. She made no comment. I stood back up, and with my back bent, I helped shift him further inside. She covered his body with one of the old sleeping bags and piled some of the old rubbish around him to make it seem less like a new arrival. With that done, we both looked at where he lay and then back at each other. Was that enough? Was that all there was to do? Were we sure he was really dead? We both made our way out of the shelter. We both seemed to want the other to say something. But with no words to say, we started slowly to walk up the side of the hill. After a few strides, Billy started to pick up pace, and I began to sprint after her. About halfway up, she came to a stop. The kid was standing by the fence, just where we had entered. I came to a stop a few feet behind her. He'd probably been watching us the whole time. He had his hands in his coat pockets.
1: Without a word, he nodded to us. And then he walked away. We turned to look at each other. We knew that was it. We would be set free. We jogged up the
0: hillside. I felt euphoric. I felt such a relief. And it was all my own. These were my feelings. There was nothing coming from any place. I didn't know or understand. I had complete control over myself again. I felt light. Light as a feather. We got back in the van, sat side by side. We breathed heavily and smiled at
1: one another. We really were free. What now? I said. We got to get rid of this van.
0: Billy said, pulling it into gear. Where'd you get it from? I stole it. You stole it? Don't look so shocked. It's not like it's the worst thing we've done this evening. No, I suppose not. We had just killed a man. He had to be dead. We wouldn't be free otherwise. Now it was all me again. I'd have to feel all the consequences. I'd have to come to terms with what I'd done. I... Felt the euphoria
1: start to dissipate. No easy thing to kill a man, no easy thing to live with what, you, what you've done. I sat quietly for a moment, then panic set in.
0: Shit, I left my car there. Where? Near the club. What the fuck did you do that for? How do you think I got there? But what did you take your own car for? I don't have another one. I was going to run for it after I stabbed him. The words felt like rocks in my throat. Well, that wasn't a very good plan, was it? What was your plan then? Just sit in a car park and wait in case he
1: walks by? That's where he parks his car. Oh. I'll have to drop you over there somewhere. You can walk back and get your car. She turned to look at me. You're not
0: even wearing gloves. What about your fingerprints? I felt myself start to cry. I guess I just don't know how to do crime very well. We stopped at a red light. She reached over and put a hand on my knee. You did fine. This whole thing is fucked up. I couldn't have done this without you. I didn't take a lot of comfort from that. It wasn't exactly something I felt proud to have contributed to. She put her hand back on the steering wheel. We pulled forward and started up the ramp onto the
1: carriageway. As the street lights flowed by, I said, We just killed a man. It was him or us. Does that make it right? He was a piece of shit. I'd rather
0: you lived than him any day. If we're all in a boat and one of us has to drown, I'd rather it was him than me or you. It's obvious, isn't it? I wasn't really in the mood for analogies. My head hurt. Him or us. That was as simple as it needed to be. I could try and live with that. She dropped me half a mile from the industrial estate. The plan was for me to get my car, then drive a few miles out of town and meet her at a junction just outside the city where she'd be dumping the van. I took her jacket so I'd at least look different when I got back to my car. I had to remember carefully how to get to the junction. I couldn't really put it in my sat-nav. Billy yelled at me for taking my phone with me. I really was clueless. I picked up my car without any incident. I heard no commotion from the direction of the club. A strange sound late at night probably wouldn't gain much attention. And a busy nightclub was an easy place to get lost. No one would notice Smith missing for a long time. The drive to meet Billy was calm. I wasn't triggered by any incident, no road rage or aggression, but the focus was gone now. I felt on a knife edge. Anxiety and panic crawled all over my skin. I might not burst into a rage, but I felt like I could fall apart at any moment. And I had to keep it together. I did remember the directions, and I found my way to the junction. Billy was waiting in the bushes for me. When I stopped for her, I noticed a cloud of smoke rising above the trees. Couldn't you just have abandoned it? There's DNA and shit. Best play it safe. I started to drive us back to town. I asked where I should go and Billy said I may as well go back to my house. If my car had been caught on a camera anyway, they'd already be able to get my address from the license plate, so I may as well go where I'd normally go. She would walk home from there. When I finally got back, I noticed the graffiti had disappeared from the side of my car. All well, this meant didn't really click until a few moments later. I caught sight of myself in the mirror in the hallway. Looking at my washed-out expression, I suddenly remembered. I took off my jacket and top and checked my shoulder. The graffiti tattoo was gone. There was no scarring, no pain, no mark. It had vanished. Billy had followed me inside. Realising what I was doing, she started taking her clothes off too. She stripped off her top and sports bra and stood beside me, half-naked, looking into the mirror. She was so happy, over the moon. I was not. I felt a terrible rush of pent-up emotions. Everything i bottled up and put to one side finally spilled over. I broke down to tears. I had my life back, myself back,
1: but at what cost?
0: I had seen things and done things I could never forget. Billy came to hold me as I cried. She held me close and shushed me like a crying child. I wept into her shoulder and she started to stroke my hair. She told me it was okay, that it was all over now. I looked into her eyes and she looked into mine. We started to kiss. I think she kissed me first. It seems much more likely to
1: have been her. But I didn't stop. I let myself go. I gave up control. It's funny, you know. I I don't think
0: I'd ever really thought about being with another woman. It was just one of those things other people did. Not a down-the-line, regular person like me. God, I was so fucking uptight back then. We had sex, and it was good sex. It was unexpected, and it felt good because I just needed to let go. Just for a short while, I needed that release. I needed to feel loved by someone. To be held by someone. We slept together. When I awoke the next morning, I was a stranger
1: to myself. Kind of numb. Kind of empty. I didn't know what to feel, what to do with myself. I felt lost. Billy was getting dressed. I asked her, Where are you going? Got work
0: to do. Got to pretend like everything's normal. And I still need the cash. I wanted her to stay. I was scared. As long as she stayed with me, I could still exist in this space where I didn't have to care or face the wreckage of my
1: life and how I was going to pull all the shit back together. What shall I do if the police come calling? Tell them your alibi. I
0: looked at her blankly. She rolled her eyes at me. I must have seemed so hopeless. Say you were going through a midlife crisis and you thought about going clubbing, but changed your mind. Work something out. Put my head in my hands. She sat on the bed and put her arm around me. Hey, we're going to get away with this. There's no one who knows who we are. There's nothing to connect us to the kid or his old man. Even if we're caught on camera, it was dark and no one's going to be able to see our faces. I had nothing to say. She kissed me on the cheek and got up to leave. How will I reach you? I said. She chewed her lip for a moment. She went over to my dressing table and wrote her phone number down on an envelope. If the police come, chuck it away. She went to leave, but then said, But don't call me straight away, and in fact, only call me from a phone box.
1: I nodded. She said, I'll see you around sometime. And then she left. I lay back in bed. I knew all that was ahead of me was going to hurt. I didn't want to do it. There'd be
0: messages and emails from work, maybe from Claire. She'd probably have spoken to mum by now. She always had time to talk to her when she had a problem with me. I was a murderer, and I went for a shower. I was a murderer, and I got dressed and made myself some breakfast. This killer then sat on the sofa, watching Bargain Hunt, like I was in a hypnotic trance. Columbo repeats followed, and then I heard a knock at the door. I walked into the hall, and I froze. I could... See the silhouettes of a policewoman in the glass. There was no running. She could almost certainly see me. How had they gotten here so quickly? I should probably just tell them everything, I thought. Maybe they'd go easy on me, due to insanity. Who was going to believe my story? At least I could protect Billy, take responsibility for everything, and not say a word about her. They were shouting hello to me. I had to go and face the music. I reached for the door handle and... Opened the door, trembling. Hello, Miss Miss Charles? Yes, I said, close to tears. My name is PC Nguyen. Are you all right? I had a rough night, I said. I closed my eyes, dreading what would come next. I've been asked to look in on you. Your friends at work have raised some concerns. They're worried about you. Do you mind if I come inside? I opened my eyes again. Um, sure, I said. Come in. We sat down together in the living room. She told me my colleagues at work had called the police because I hadn't been answering my phone. They were concerned about my well-being because of the strange way I'd acted in the office. That made me laugh. I told her that strange behaviour didn't really do it justice. I'd just been honest for the, for the first and only time while I'd worked there. She didn't smile. I told her one of the lies I'd worked on after the office meltdown, that I'd been taking medication and I'd had an unexpected reaction. I spun a tale about how I'd been having a tough time with anxiety and been speaking to my doctor about getting help and he'd recommended the medication. I wasn't taking it anymore, and I should be okay, at least physically in a day or two. I wondered if she knew about the car accident. She didn't say anything if she did but she did mention the complaint about the graffiti. That took me back, I'd forgotten I'd even reported it. I said it was fine now, trying to keep my composure. Nothing had happened since. She seemed a little unconvinced. She said it was important to reach out to my colleagues. They were worried about me and that my well-being was much more important than any job. Before leaving, she said, I know it's really easy to get caught up in what goes on at work, but... It's absolutely not worth letting it affect your health. It's never worth it. You've got to put yourself first at the end of the day. Work is just work. I nodded and closed the door behind her. In a way, she was right. But let's face it, you need your pay packet. You need to pay your mortgage and do your shopping and get a good reference at the end of it. It's never just work. And it's even worse to do a job half-heartedly, no matter how empty that job is. Saying it's just work is really a lie. But i defined myself so seriously by my job, put so much stock in what I was worth based on my career. It hadn't been worth it, but losing it all still felt like a loss. I was heartened and surprised by the idea that people at work actually cared about my well-being. I went and I plugged in my phone and loaded up my emails. Time to face the music. The first emails were of the what-the-hell-and-I-need-you-to-explain-yourself variety. The missed phone calls were in double digits. I had many texts and notifications from Ling gradually escalating in panic. I did feel guilty for her. She was a good person. As I read the concerns and worries of others, their concerns started to feel hollow. They might be worried about me, but they were more worried about what I knew. I'd seen all the dirty laundry. Once I was found to be alive and okay, their caring wouldn't last. There was a liability and a potential PR disaster that needed to be neutralised. Fuck those guys. Fuck those guys. I kept my responses brief. I said to Ling she shouldn't worry, I'd be in touch soon. I apologised for my outburst to my bosses, giving them the same excuse I'd given the police. I need to take an extended leave of absence, that's how these things work. I'd never return but they'd have to make it good with me
1: first. I closed my laptop and looked out the window. It was sunny outside. I had an unexpected thought. I was glad to be alive.
0: I changed my clothes and I went for a jog. I ran a few miles, relaxed in the park, had an ice cream, came back as the sun was going down. I turned on Netflix, binged a series or two with a takeaway. It was a nice day and I had a good time. I took another long walk along the canal the next day. I enjoyed Sunday lunch at a local pub. A great big roast dinner with all the trimmings. After I finished, I picked up a local newspaper. When I saw a body had been discovered, my heart stopped. But it was a young man, and the paper was a week old. I tried to get back my blissful state. I sat in the beer garden with a glass of wine and a book. I spotted a group of teenagers on the other side of the canal laughing and mucking around. They were dressed like the kid would dress. I didn't feel like reading anymore and I decided to go back home. The house felt very empty. I found myself looking at holiday destinations, not the cultural city breaks I'd taken in the past. I was looking at beaches, places for paradise and relaxation far, far away. I had savings and I was going to squeeze work for a good severance. There was a knock at the door late afternoon. I was terrified it was the police again, but the figure standing outside wasn't very tall at all. I opened the door and found Liam there looking up at me. Hi, Auntie Abby. At the end of the drive, the mum of one of his friends was waving to me as she started to pull away. Liam, what are you doing here? It was Jake's birthday. His mum just dropped me off. But you're not staying here at the moment. I forgot to tell her, he said. He pushed his way past me and started to take his shoes off. He kicked them into a pile under the coat rack then walked into the living room and plonked himself on the sofa. He looked at my laptop. What are you doing? Holiday comparison sites were on my screen. I went and closed it, saying it was some work I had to do. Do you even still have a job? Claire's bloody big mouth. It's complicated. Mum said you had a meltdown. Is that why you punched her? Not just because of that. Like I said, it's complicated. I had a fight once. I remember. You and Mum told me it was wrong. It was wrong. Even though he stole my pen. Even though he stole your pen. It was wrong then. It was wrong when I hit your mum. It's just wrong, full stop. I made a mistake and I wish I hadn't done it. I watched him stare at his feet for a few moments. Why did you come here, Liam? Can I live here with you, Auntie Abby? Liam, I'm sick of Mum. It was nice when we were here with you. I don't remember you saying how much you liked it. It was better here. I hate moving all the time. She always ruins everything. Had he heard me say that about Claire? He couldn't have. I didn't remember saying it out loud. Perhaps I did. Our fights could get pretty brutal. She's your mum, Liam. Believe me,
1: there are much worse parents than your mother. I wish you were my mum. Christ, he made me want to cry. I
0: love you, Liam, but Claire is always going to be your mum. He picked up a cushion and threw it across the room. Hey, watch it! It's so unfair! At least you're with your dad, right? You used to like living with your dad. He doesn't want us there. He's always asking how long are you going to stay, even more than you used to. Not about you, Liam. Your mum's good at overstaying her welcome. Your dad loves you. I love you. Your mum loves you too. That's three whole people who love you. That's not bad, is it? His arms were folded and he was slumped back. He had every reason to feel short-changed. We're all letting him down. I'm going to have to let your mum know you're here. He didn't say anything. But is there something you'd like to do before she gets here? We could play in the garden if you like. I thought you didn't like football. I'll play football with you. I've still got your football around here somewhere. We took it with us. No, I still have the little one. It's in the closet. It was a long time since I'd kicked a ball around with Liam. We used to do it quite a lot back when he was more into sports. It didn't take much to get him being competitive and I was still hopeless. It was fun. What I'd find over the next few months was that when I played and had fun with Liam, I didn't feel any guilt. If I found myself doing other things and having a good time, I might feel like I didn't deserve it. But not when I was looking after Liam. After I texted her, I knew Claire wouldn't take long to come over. She would have her outraged act ready. I could hear her knock on the door all the way back in the garden.
1: Hi, Claire. She was looking past me. Where's Liam? He's outside. Liam! We're having
0: some fun. Come on, Claire, why not join us? What's the rush? I can't trust you around him, can I? What if you lash out again? Claire, I already said sorry. You hit me. And you are a selfish bitch. Okay, I shouldn't have done it, and I'm sorry. But I'm not going to hurt you, and I'm not going to hurt Liam. How can I trust you now? It might interest you to know that I'm about to lose my job, so I don't have that hanging over me anymore. I'm, I'm starting afresh. I don't know what that means, but life's too short for all this shit. Just come in. She hesitated, but eventually followed me into the kitchen. I'm just supposed to forgive you, am I? Forget like it ever happened. I guess that's up to you, but how long do you think you can stay at Paul's? He says I can stay as long as I want. My eyes said, that's bullshit, to her. Fuck you! He said he'll look after me and Liam. You two can't get on for more than ten minutes. Come off it. You never had it as good as you had it when you were here with me. You couldn't wait to get rid of us. You didn't want us here either. I didn't even know I was going to say this until I found myself saying it. Well... I want you here now. I want you and Liam to move back in. You serious? I've fucked things up, Claire. I'm leaving my job and I don't want to go back. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself in the future. I've got a lot to figure out and the truth is...
1: I don't want to be on my own. Claire didn't know how to react. She wasn't used to me being the emotional one. I wasn't used to it either. I was fucking tearing up again. And it's
0: better for Liam. He shouldn't be kept moving around all the time. You hit me. I can't forget that. I was here for you when you needed help. Can't you be here for me now when I need your help? I wiped away the tears as Liam came bounding in. Mum, I'm beating Auntie Abby 11 2. She's rubbish. Why did you lie to Jake's parents and say you were still living here? I want to come back here and live with Auntie Abby. Did you put him up to this? Before I could even answer, he said, You shouldn't have made her mad. You're always making people angry. Why'd you have to spoil everything? Liam, don't talk to your mum like that, I snapped. Liam, mum needs some time to think. Get ready and wait in the hall. He walked away, stamping his feet in a tantrum. It made the awkward silence almost comic. The other day, you said to me I could talk to you at any time. Well, I'm trying, Claire. I'm really trying. Are we going then, or what? Liam shouted. Claire looked a little tearful herself. I'll let you know, she said. When she was gone, I cried some more. What a mess I'd made of everything. It really had come to this. I really did want her back. I was so desperate to not be alone that I was going to let my sister come back. Because I was a train wreck too now. We could all be one happy disaster family together. I knew she'd say yes eventually. It's not like she had many options. I had to make some concessions though. She had the upper hand and she was going to squeeze me. She was going to sleep in my room from now on. Liam would have the other room to himself. That kind of made sense anyway, and I had to let her go to Prague. I could more easily sympathise for a desire to want to run away from everything. They moved back in very quickly. That was good because for the first time, maybe since I was a teenager, I had absolutely no plans and nothing to do. I hadn't the first idea what to do with myself. Having the
1: two of them there, at least it, gave me something to plan my time around. Barrington Smith's body was found about a month after we dumped it. He was identified in the
0: paper the following day, setting me on edge. I was already spending a lot of time trying to conceal how fragile I was. Now I was terrified I might get taken away at any moment. Reading the news allowed me to fill in the details about Smith I'd never known. The police knew of his violent past. He had done time and the paper said he'd been known to associate with violent gangs. His death was being treated as suspicious, the implication being that it was gang-related. He went on to say that, a year ago, Smith had been a suspect in the disappearance of his own son. He'd been reported missing, but the boy's mother had implicated his father due to his violent temperament. No charges were ever brought, and the whereabouts of his son had never been discovered. Because he was listed as a missing person, I was able to look him up online. His son, Trevor, had only been 14 years old. It took time for that to sink in. I'd been avoiding thinking about anything to do with that night, trying to compartmentalise and put it out of my mind with limited success and many sleepless nights. I remembered feeling selfish that I was wrong to be spending so much time worrying about myself. I was still alive. I still got to live my life. I was going to be fine. After I read this story, I took myself out on a tour across the city. I went to visit all the places where I'd seen his graffiti on that journey I'd taken across town. I couldn't find any tags anywhere. I went through the labyrinthine subways and the alleys and junctions. I could find no sign of the smudge tag anywhere. It was as if all signs of him ever having existed had been wiped away. I wondered what his father had done to him and where he had put his body. There wasn't even a gravestone where I could lay flowers. He was only missing, not officially dead. 14 years old, what kind of life was that? As months passed, I knew things had to change, that I could do something different and more important with my life. If I was going to define my life by my work, I could do some work with actual value. I've ended up becoming a social worker. I took a job that's ten times more stressful, and ten times harder, with longer hours and worse pay. And it was the right decision, because now I get to help people, and I can try to make sure they don't end up like Trevor Smith. doesn't always work out, Bad things happen to people who don't deserve it all the time, and I can't always be the one who helps. It's really tough, and it gets to me a lot. It really does. It helps, though, that whenever it starts to get to me, when it really drags me down, I only have to walk about 50 feet from my new office to set my eyes on a certain wall. A certain wall that I drove into and was never even rebuilt. I just have to remember, How important it is to not let things get on top of you. To keep things in proportion. Me and Claire lived together for four years. In the end I moved out and I let them have the house. I didn't need all that space for myself.
1: Better for them to have it. I have a new life now. A new home and a new partner. It's not perfect. But I'm so lucky for what I have. I'm thankful. Really thankful. I never did call Billy. In the aftermath,
0: I was trying not to face it or deal with what we'd done, and she'd said not to call, so I didn't. Then weeks and months went by and I didn't want to revisit what happened. I kept hold of her number, but the time came when I knew I would never call it. But I did see her just the once. I was in the supermarket many months later and I saw her in the fruit and veg aisle and full of guilt and fear and shame I couldn't quite bring myself to say anything to her. It didn't seem appropriate to raise my voice over the silence and speak to her reveal to the world we had some connection. It was still a secret. Instead I concentrated on the different bags of leafy greens on the shelves. She walked by me, brushing up close to me. Running her fingers across my right hand, I opened my fingers, letting them slide between, allowing her palm to pass
1: over mine. That was the last time I ever saw her. I miss her, and I think I always will.
0: Thank you for listening to Season 3 of the New Ghost Stories Podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to support what I do, please consider leaving a review on any platform and subscribing to hear future releases. You can also become a patron and enjoy some bonus content by signing up at patreon.com slash Stories. This podcast is written, presented, and produced by David Paul Nixon. If you'd like to find out more about New Ghost Stories, visit my website newghoststories.substack.com and to get all the latest from me follow me on Twitter, Instagram and Mastodon at newghoststories We'll be back next month with a new bonus episode